Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited. We got Jim, we got Brenda, we got Eric. Very excited to have you guys on all together. We are we have been talking about hope all week. And I hope y'all are liking the show, hitting the subscribe button, hitting the notification bell, getting all that stuff done so that you get your emails in the morning whenever we go live, which is of course every day. Um, now, again, like I was saying, we have been talking about hope all week. Today, we've, uh, at the end of yesterday, we kind of finished with the fact that communication and being effective in that is really, really important in terms of building or derailing hope. So I'm going to give a quick definition, and then we'll dive into the uh, conversation. So what I pulled up here, <clears throat> excuse me, it states this. Effective communication is more than just exchanging information. It involves understanding the emotions and intentions behind the information. It involves being in sync with your audience and being able to accept input, both verbal and nonverbal, while also expressing your thoughts and opinions in an inclusive way. To be effective, you need to listen in a way that gains the full meaning of what's being said and makes the other person feel heard and understood. Bam. So that's my quick definition on that. And I'm going to go around the table and see about getting a, what your guys' thoughts are. What would you consider effective communication? Eric, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I love that the definition focuses right away on the two-way street element. It's not so much what you say, these amazing words that sound so good, but you have to be in this space and place where someone is ready to receive it. And that could take priming. That could take another form of communication. So really plays into all elements to make sure that 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 message, whatever it is, is truly, truly shared. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jim, what are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are that the uh, the message itself is probably extremely important in the sense that uh, on, on the hope conversation here that the the uh, the choice of words, the choice of how you communicate that message is going to be incredibly important and, you know, creating that belief, creating that uh, that positivity. To, to create that sense of hope. Mm -hmm. Brenda, how about yourself? Initial thoughts? Yeah, I appreciate the definition because I think largely when we're communicating, the thing that resonated with me is being able to hear the message and understanding what your audience and who your audience is and then you know um, adapting your communication style to them. I think often what happens is that individuals here to respond versus here to really understand the messaging and the verbal and nonverbal cues that are happening. So the emotional intelligence component that's associated to it. And I think often when we're having the conversations and, you know, being very clear and concise in what you're trying to communicate, thoughtful about your messaging, and again, adaptive to the audience that you're going to be communicating to because there's such a diversity of individuals and you know what is their style how do they like to receive information and um, again I go back to the hearing part really listening and then watching for those um, non-verbal cues as well mm -hmm. sean what about yourself what are your initial thoughts i know you had a post on it but what are you thinking yeah <clears throat> i'm thinking that uh, a couple of years ago i never wore this hat six months ago I didn't have this t-shirt a couple months ago didn't have this coffee mug a few months before that I didn't have this coffee mug 
And without saying a word, I've already primed an audience. My audience in my live IG chat gets this. The audience over here gets this. Switching our nonverbal cues, our various symbols, our icons, our messaging. I'm looking at the, at the moment that we jumped into this chat, I'm immediately scanning the guests and then I'm scanning their background and I'm scanning what they're wearing and I'm scanning their vibe. Communication is something for me that occurs before a freaking word is spoken. I already know a lot about a thing before a word is exchanged. And so I now pay more attention to what I do when I'm sending a message. And I also pay more attention to what I do when I'm receiving a message. I find that as I get older, I better understand how little I understood how to communicate effectively. Yeah, it, <clears throat> it's kind of surprising when you have the ability to look back and realize how of, how ineffective of a communicator, especially for me, that I was years ago. Um, so the first question I had now, the benefit of this is the whole panel, except for myself, has worked in the policing world and where effective communication is it's key right like if you don't have effective communication that's where we see a lot of the negative stuff on social media but what do you think you where do you think you uh do you think you picked it up through the training or was it like an osmosis thing of how to build that effective communication within the job sense or do you think it was more of a personal thing beforehand jim i'm gonna come to you with this one what do you think yeah i uh i think i learned about it through uh, an absolute failure i think brenda might uh I agree with me on this one here. The I, I realized I was doing a poor job uh, when I got to a certain rank, and I had a message to communicate, and that that message I thought was getting out, and I went and talked to someone who I had actually never met. Uh, they were in my command, but I you know barely recognized them. That kind of, and I was talking to them about this thing that I was very proud of, and had thought I relayed well, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Um, so clearly my messaging did not get through to them. I did not, uh, diversify my message. I thought my, my one email was sufficient. Um, clearly it wasn't. So, so I learned a lot about, uh, diversifying my message and the frequency and, and how to get that through to a number of people. Absolutely. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, for me, lessons are, they can be very effective when learning from others, from mentors, from role models, certainly. And like most people, I think we learn the most from our own mistakes in our own, maybe not even overt mistakes. Maybe they're just opportunities where we could have done better or showed up better. I love that Jim brings up emails because uh, anyone that's worked for me will, will roll their eyes. I love using emails because I love to communicate. And in the absence of getting face-to-face, -face, that's efficient, right? It's uh, it's handy. It's quick. You can, you. can I'm a bit more introverted, so I'm not the order I love to be, but it's a work in progress with effective communication as the theme. I'm trying really hard not to say ums today, but I can, I can format all my thoughts in writing a lot more easily than I can verbally. So it's a crutch, right? It's really, it's low hanging fruit. However, my, my lessons include that if I write one email to 150 people, those in my unit, those in my close group that see me day to day, hear my voice, see my face, are going to read it differently 
than someone that hasn't seen me in two weeks or hasn't worked directly with me in six months. And so it is, is a very double-edged sword that I'm continually learning about. I had a little bit of that occur to me a couple of weeks ago where my message was very well received from those that work closely with me, but those that do not read it with a totally different tone with a very different uh, misintent. That's one uh, that I counted. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Brenda, what do you think? You know, it's, I think for me, it's really understanding who I am and what I bring. So early on in my career, I am incredibly introverted and it was a struggle to effectively communicate. It's one thing when you're, you know, doing frontline policing and you're responding to a call for service. So you are relying on the training that you um, acquired through, you know, the different courses and so forth. But then as you take on different roles in leadership and or you're, you know, eventually climbing up the ranks, if you will, I really needed to spend time taking additional courses and, you know, short of Toastmasters, constantly pushing myself so that I felt more comfortable and confident in that communication. It's not that I didn't have the ability to do it. It's just that, you know, I was um, very conscientious of what I was saying and how I was saying it to the point where it was becoming a distraction for me. And so, you know, even with the media training, I did uh, a, quite a bit of media training early on in my career as well, so that I'd be a lot more comfortable, learn the nuances when you're interacting with, you know, whatever media outlet um, that you're communicating with and then how to do that. And I think the other piece was <clears throat> failing forward because that did happen. There were times when, you know, you're sending an email message and or a larger publication and eventually you realize, oh, okay, that's not quite how that should have gone. And, you know, I was working with a lot of media specialists as well, communication specialists at different ranks within the organization in my former profession. And, you know, they have the, a very unique writing style. And so what I needed to do was to adapt that to my um, form of communication. And what I found is that I don't do well with prescribed um, speeches. I, I literally have to take that, summarize it, and then frankly, put it into my own form of communication. And then there's an art to learning that as well. And I think, you know, the comments regarding emails, absolutely. Have I sent emails previously where I thought, oh my God, was I awake when I did that? Or, you know, I should really be very focused on what's the intent of the message. And there, those were very much the fail forward lessons that I acquired over time. And then to be able to spend time with different individuals and coach them and mentor as well and instill, you know, that confidence in them based upon my own learnings, but helping them learn, you know, what their um, what their preferred style of communication was as well. And I think, you know, growing up too, I grew up with a tremendous amount of um, elders. And so they're pretty quick to guide you if you're communicating ineffectively to them. And that's happening as recently as Tuesday, I was at an elder council meeting and something came up. And so I, you know, weighed into it respectfully, but you know, you still kind of get that little bit of a chastised piece if you're not communicating the way they want you to be interacting with them. So again, I think it's, you know, the balance of what both, um, um, you know, everyone's spoken about today. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, we're coming out from this. Yeah, a couple of different things bubbled up as I was listening to the guests. Novel thoughts for me, just, you know, I didn't come in, I don't come into these things with pre-planned ideas. So it was what Eric was talking about initially and how, uh, you know, he his low-hanging fruit is his ability to write well. And he does write well. In fact, that's how, that's how or why I started following Eric uh, 
way back in the day. How, how long ago oh, was it? Year. I don't know, half a year or three quarters of a year or something. But when I, when I saw Eric's writing, I thought, now there's a thoughtful guy. I like the way he thinks. I like the way he writes. He's, he's careful with his choice of how he's communicating across a thought. So I knew he was a good writer. I knew he was intellectual uh, to some degree, but I'd never met him. But then we were on a podcast together for the first time here on The Collective, and I thought, he speaks well. He writes well, he speaks well, he thinks well, and he combines those things well together as a three-dimensional model. And that's when I really started liking Eric. I, I liked him for his writing, I liked him for his speaking, but I liked how he combined his communication skills. Just his most recent uh, post that he put out there the other day. I mean, it's great writing. I think I dropped a comment on uh, on your post. It was like it was legit. Thank you, and man. So, yeah, of course. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think the point I'm going to make is Eric's a cool guy, but I wouldn't know how cool he is unless he was using mixed media or mixed mediums of communication. It's one thing to send out an email. It's another thing to write a thoughtful post. It's another thing to text someone. It's another thing. You start stacking up some of these thoughtful moments and it becomes a three-dimensional model of communication. And that's how I ascertain who the person is in front of me. If they're monosyllabic, if they, if they speak in grunts, I'll figure out how to communicate with them. But it's my job right from the get-go to understand how well or how deep they think. And then I've got to match their velocity so that we're on the same two-way highway. We're talking about a two-way highway of communication. I throw it out there all the time. But it's hard to communicate with someone if they're going that way at two miles an hour and you're coming this way at a thousand miles an hour. So you've got to match your velocities on the two-way highway of communication style. And in order to do that, in order to synchronize, you've, you've got to spend time thinking about how to talk to the person in front of you instead of just talking. You've got to calibrate to them and then match your velocity to their, for lack of a better term, communication intellect, if that makes sense. The second thing that came up uh, for me was um, Jim talking about how, you know, he, he learned how to do something better through uh, someone giving him feedback. And uh, my wife, um, when the mention of Toastmasters came up, I kind of smiled internally, of course, because I don't, I don't like smiling too much. Uh, so Toastmasters came up and my wife did a bunch of Toastmasters stuff. Uh, she's a professional engineer. She runs a pile of meetings around the world. She does a lot of speaking to a lot of people uh, every day. And so uh, earlier in her career when we first met, so that'd be about 20 years ago, she had to deliver a bunch of speeches or a bunch of presentations or to senior executives around the world uh, on a pretty regular basis. And it's not that she would be nervous, but she developed a routine. And that's what I want to focus on right now. She developed a routine where before the night before she would have to give her presentations, she'd hit me up, but just like really on the low down, not like I need your help. Cause there's no way that conversation's ever going to happen. It was more on the low down and it was more, Hey, could you just uh, listen to me, give the presentation. And the reason that she would hit me up is because I, my presentation kind of goes like this. I only need my first 10 seconds or my first 15 seconds. And it, my first 10 or 15 is who, what, when, where, why, and how. 
And if I'm presenting to a group in front of me, it's a big auditorium during that 15 seconds, I'll also explain where the fire exit is and where to go to the bathroom. So let's get all of the admin points out of the way. Once I've checked that box, then I just free flow. But that's me because I've been speaking for a long time to a lot of people, but that's not my wife. All of the formal training wouldn't get her to the ability to deliver like I deliver. And I can't deliver the way she delivers. It's our jobs to figure out who we are right now and how we best communicate. And then if we feel we need the help, you've got to look around for someone who does it maybe way differently so that you can try something new and stack it into what you're maybe not doing as well as you could. That, that raises a lot of really good points, a lot of really good points. Um, and I'm going to bring this back to the panel here in a second. I just want to hit on this. If there are any, if the, the people watching, if you have any thoughts or comments, by all means, put them up in the comment section, kind of like this. Winterstorm, good morning, everyone, and to the current and past leaders that I specifically look up to and admire on this panel. Um, there's another comment there, but I, I'm going to come back to that one. Brenda, what are your thoughts on what Sean was just going over? I agree. I, I think that's um, Im imperative, frankly, in terms of, you know, um, several things. So the forms of communication, um, again, you know, whether that's written, whether it's verbal, you know, summarizing all those things um, and understanding what your strengths are. I fully agree with that. I think that, you know, again, um, in terms of the preparation. So I'm one of those individuals that feels a lot more comfortable. If I have an idea of what I'm going to be speaking to, I may take a few moments to, or longer, depending upon what it is and who I'm presenting to size of the audience and so forth. But that's the process that I need to undertake. And then once I'm comfortable with the subject, then I can go. So I do think it's again, really understanding as Sean pointed out, you know, what your own style is and then learning from others. Part of what I have done also through the course of, um, you know, my careers are really understanding um, individuals and looking at elements that I can learn from them. And, you know, I've, I've watched all kinds of incredible speakers internationally and then locally, and there's always little lessons that I take away from them. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, got any uh, thoughts to add? Yeah, I'm kind of chuckling a bit. Um, I, I too like knowing what I'm going into and having some preparation. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't even know my former boss was going to be on, on the show this morning. So, um, you know, uh, this is, Hope you did your uh, homework. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't know what the topic was going to be. Um, Welcome to my world. Yeah, um, Brenda did mention something there uh, a while back, a couple comments ago about um, uh, changing her uh, her style to the point it wasn't wasn't her. I um, just that uh, that authenticity in your message and uh making sure that uh what what you are as your essence and your your message are, are combined and uh making sure those those are uh portrayed appropriately i guess people can tell obviously uh when you are saying something or you're you're censoring yourself and it's not your message and it just uh, dilutes the the communication or the effectiveness of that communication yeah absolutely eric you got any yeah. thoughts I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of it's just putting it all together because as, as I try to share what insights I have or what experience I have, ultimately, every time I'm on here, I'm learning a lot, right? I'm turning, taking down notes of things that I want to focus on later, but then notes of things that are jumping out at me that I want to remember to say, but a few of them just connecting some of these uh, recent inputs are in the context of hope and in the context of us, the, the felt my fellow guests being of, 
the policing career, especially in the last few years, I think we have to be so mindful of the audience and so mindful of the timing and the context, right? We have to look at what our goal is. And our goal is not just to speak to a group. Our goal is to speak on behalf of someone. And our goal is to speak to those that might be in the group. It's also to think about who might be outside the group, but watching this recording later. And so it can be tricky. And so I really, I, I'm humbled by your compliment, Sean. And some of what I write on social media is truly to not overthink it, but also I have to be mindful of who's reading it because I do have different overlapping goals. I have a desire to convey my, my authentic self, as, as Brenda points out, you have to be you, but also I'm going to ultimately communicate differently with a room full of cops than a room full of civilians that have never met me. And that's not because that's not in a way that I'm disingenuous. It's just recognizing that it's a different context. And if I want to be successful in relaying my message, I have to meet them halfway. I have to find common ground. Uh, if we talk about policing and it's post-incident, the timing is generally not most effective to explain all the whys something happened, even though it doesn't look good. The timing is to show up, be present, as Brennan pointed out, right? Listen. Um, as everyone's point on this episode, my at the same time, I can risk and knowingly risk that a lot of police officers might think that i'm I'm pandering or catering. But what's my goal? And in that meeting, it's to show up, represent the department, represent the profession, and show and demonstrate that I am listening. So anyone can offer all these explanations. And even though they don't seem to, their purpose isn't to be excuses. They can come off as overly defensive. And that's what we've seen in policing history, um, even even today. And so I think that's where a lot of mindful leaders are trying to go with a different approach. And oftentimes it is just with a more personal and open uh, sense of communication. Yeah, absolutely. John, you got any thoughts to add? I do. Um, I think that uh, something that I'll throw out there to the listening audience, I'm sure that the guest panel understands this already, but it is a fun little challenge, I believe. And uh, it's, it's a good idea to remind ourselves of this from time to time. Um, so two words that popped into my consciousness uh, about a year ago, uh, a little less than a year ago, when I started when I start thinking about, man, if I got to do this podcasting thing, I got to take it serious. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I started looking at all of the folks out there who I didn't know if they were doing it right or not. I just started tracking all the big names, not the big names that I was already listening to as podcasts that I enjoy. So I'm not going to say that when I decided I had to do podcasting, I started following Jocko. I was following Jocko a long time before that. What I did do was start tracking people who had traction. People that I didn't like. But I tried to understand how all of this works. How to more correctly or effectively or efficiently communicate on a social media platform. Which is kind of what I'm trying to do. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do it right. To do it right, you've got to understand who's doing it right out there. And then you've got to form a pattern on why it works for them and how it can work for you while still being authentic to yourself and not caving into the influence of social media. So I spent quite a bit of time analyzing the battle space, for lack of a better term. Once I'd done my reconnaissance, 
I kind of came away with two words and I haven't been able to get them out of my head since then. Every once in a while, they kind of flare up as like, oh, that's super important. I've really got to engage in that. And sometimes it kind of simmers down a little bit and it's kind of in the back of my head, but I'm not hyper-focused on it. But these two words really work for me. And one of them is being athletic and one of them is being artistic in your speech because I'm a freak because that's what I like to do in life. That's what I like to do is I like to get on the BJJ mats and be an athlete. And I like to be artistic while I'm doing BJJ. When I'm on a bike, I like to be artistic and I like to be athletic. When I'm hitting a heavy bag, same, same. When I'm blah, 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 same, same. Know who you are, find your traits, and then incorporate them into your speech and start playing with it. My speech for a little while now, my tonality, my all of the things that are involved in speech to include the pause. I am playing with as an artist and an athlete. Now, granted, I'm a rank amateur, but you've got to have goals in life and you've got to have goals in the thing that you're doing in the now. When you're in the now, you just can't like shrug your shoulders and hope that it's going to all play out to your benefit and everyone around you. You've got a freaking responsibility when you're communicating with another human being. If you want to play, play in your own time. But when you're playing with another human being, you got to kind of take it serious. It doesn't mean that it's got to be homework, but why not just try to communicate a little bit better? There's no harm in trying. And to try, you have to have a couple of words in your head, I think to really kind of sink your teeth into how do I play in this moment? How do I get better at this communication? For me, it's athleticism and it's artistry, if that makes sense. I like where you're going with this. <clears throat> it, uh, I think one of the biggest, at least the biggest thing I've seen out there is that people see barriers to communication rather than roads that they can take. They just, I have anxiety or, um, I've never been good at it or I don't have any practice, et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, excuses, all those things that you can come up with. So uh, I do want to come up with this comment and I have a question in regards to it. So the comment says, for successful communication, I was told, just assume only 25% of what you were saying is understood and only 50% of that is actually retained and everyone is doing their best. Now, I'm going to get you guys' thoughts on this, but also I want to ask this question for that. What do you guys think is the biggest barrier to communicating in general with other people? Because I think it plays into this quite a bit. And I'm going to start with Jim. What do you think? I'd say the, uh, the biggest barrier is probably yourself. Um, not taking the, uh, the chance. Um, it, it's, it's very interesting, the, uh, the comment there about uh, 25% and 50%. Um, taking that extra time um, to, to make sure that your, your, your message is, uh, is hitting, hitting those requirements and that you, you reinforce that message as you go. Um, I, I think it is extremely, extremely difficult to, uh, to know what your, your message is, the, the effectiveness of your message. Absolutely. Eric, what do you think? Yeah. When you asked that question, the first thought was expectations. I think when a team isn't gelling, when a partnership isn't working, it's, because they haven't established the same expectations. And so whether that's a meeting, whether that's a phone call or whether that's even writing an email, not having that connection, not having that in line. I mean, I think that 
if I remember right, the definition that uh, Chance started with was it, it involved being in sync, right? So to be absent that, it, we don't even know what game we're playing. We don't know if we're playing the same game or speaking the same language. Mm, absolutely. Brenda, talk? Yeah, I, I agree with both um, Eric and Jim. I also think it's about what is the message that you're trying to communicate in the first place? Like, when do you need to communicate? What are you communicating? How are you communicating it? Um, you know, and again, absolutely what you bring to the table as an individual, but then the audience. So if your messaging isn't resonating, how come? Like, why isn't resonating? And then again, the clarity and conciseness of it, because often, you know, it's that balance of being too verbose, but still be able to get your message across in a clear, concise way without being it, without it being simplistic. So that balance needs to be struck as well. But to going back to the barrier, I really think that, you know, it, it is, it's all those elements. And then is it the proper form of communication as well? That's a good question. Sean, where are you going with this? Yeah. This coffee is delicious. <laughs> it's called a pattern interrupt. And that's what you have to do. Sometimes you've got to interrupt the communication style that you've used in the past with the person that's in front of you and with yourself, you've got to try new things. You have to be playful. If you are, let's, let's use the numbers that are there. 25% are going to understand. Um, it's your job to increase those percentages by not doing your same old, same old a pattern interrupt. There'll be people out here that will wonder what, what, what's he talking about his coffee? They're still chewing on that. That's a pattern interrupt, man. Whatever it takes to make someone step out of their, I don't want to say sleepiness, but not paying attention to the moment. When someone is speaking to you, that's the opportunity to learn. When someone is speaking to you, that's your opportunity to learn about yourself. These moments are all opportunities, but when we're bored or tired or distracted or staring at the ceiling or whatever the case is, if I see that it's my job to get in front of it and fix it, not let it continue into a spiral of now only 10% understand what I'm putting across. I have to read the audience. You have to read the room, whether the room only has one person in it or a thousand people in it. It's your job to understand what the average state is out there and then deliver to that average while pattern interrupting on either side of it, we'll call it plus or minus 20% and hit as much of that audience as you can. And then at some point throughout a couple of zingers to kind of touch the outliers, but plant those seeds. You've got to lay something into someone's mind so that even if they only traction on it for 10 seconds, like if I yell at a guy in the corner and say, you, what's going on over there? <laughs> nice work. He's remembering that or she's remembering that for the rest of the day. And I, it's, it, I'm not going to say I don't care what they think about after that. What I do care is that they start thinking. So you've got to pattern interrupt. You've got to plant seeds to read the room. You've got to have been in a few rooms. And once you've been in enough rooms to read a room well, it's your job to deliver appropriately in two aspects, one for the audience and one 
for the audience. And what I mean by that is you're trying to get something across, but you're also trying to teach, teach how it's done, teach how audiences are supposed to interact, teach how you're supposed to interact with audience, teach how to communicate, not just as a communicator, but as an example on how to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. Jim, you look like you're stewing on something. What do you got? Yeah, just the, um, I guess this, this, uh, this platform is a perfect demonstration of that. Um, I've been, I, I watch the comments. I check out some of the people that are following you guys and the, uh, the audience here is incredibly diverse with a, a ton of background, um, and experience. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, Sean, you mentioned, uh, going, going on either side of that, uh, that message. That's incredibly tough to do when you, uh, when you have such a diverse audience, um, you almost have to go, you know, 50% either way to, to hit those edges, but, um, interesting, uh, interesting analogy. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brenda, I saw you stewing on something there too. What do you got? Yeah, no, it's it, like I was um, going back to some of the conversation when Sean was mentioning the athleticism. I remember early on the verbal judo and being, you know, um, taught, you those, uh, taught those skills. But it's like anything, it's one thing to learn it. It's another thing to actually implement it and practice it. And I think, you know, the style of communication, whatever works best for yourself, the nuances, the, the intentional pauses, uh, the disruptions, you know, captivating the audience, making sure that your message is clearly understood and, you know, based upon whatever that circumstance is, whether it's a large auditorium, whether it's an individual one-on-one, you know, it's, it's, it's all of those elements. And I think that's the complexity of it. I think the other thing that um, resonated for me as well is, you know, the type of messaging in certain spaces. So when I heard Eric talk about, you know, the provocative space with um, public safety by way of example, you know, that is a that is a provocative space and you have very polarizing perspectives on that. And, you know, when you're in those realms and those professions, you know, you're providing a service and how do you do that in a space where there's controversy? And that of course is communication and how are you communicating? Are you communicating directly after a major incident and or are you resonating that calm for the map for you know for all the individuals that you're working with right because there's an expectation of that as well so you have a very um, um, provocative situation that occurs but what and how are you communicating so that you have that sense of calm as well so i found all those elements fascinating and i love the my coffee's great. It's stuck. <laughs> there you go. Being a coffee right kind of person. There you go. I like it. Eric, you got any uh, thoughts? Yeah, just dovetailing off of those two. Um, and in the space, we. this is even rewinding back a little bit to Sean and pointing out all his awesome attire. You know, I feel like very, very plain, but that was probably an intent wearing all the black plain stuff <laughs> yeah. right now. Sean's got cool stuff. That's what he communicated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I recognize that, uh, you know, I am in a recruiting space and generally we intend to dress casually. Um, when doing a background interview, there is some, for a background investigator, there is some ideology that you should dress as plainly as you can. So you, you soften the room, right? You don't have someone feel intimidated like they're talking to the police that's interrogating them. You can wear a casual polo shirt and slump back in your chair and have someone open up to you a lot more easily. So these are things that we can recognize. We can recognize, I can recognize that someone might take my communication differently if I'm in my traditional uniform or if I'm wearing a polo shirt with a badge and a vest. It just might generate a different vibe. 
But I've also recognized that for myself, I feel different and I present differently if I'm wearing my full official uniform. I have this persona that's attached. Uh, I have a certain swagger that's attached at times. Uh, but I also have a, a stronger ability to empathize and connect when I'm not wearing that. And some of those are personal things. I know that they can be trends for police. But these are worth paying attention to when we're going into that community meeting or we're going to uh, address a family that's mourning the loss, uh, you know, the, to a victim of a violent crime and how we show up and what really what our goal is and what our intent is. Um, in all these conversations, I'm curious, this is popping in my mind continuously with all the different feedback, but Radical Candor, is anyone else familiar with Kim Scott? Yeah, so if you're listening in, please look that up. It's a fantastic, she's a fantastic writer in her book, Radical Candor, but she's on a bunch of podcasts too. But essentially to make it really a distilled version is to effectively communicate generally to your team in the workplace. You have to balance uh, a personal connection, right? Uh, deeply valuing your relationship. And then you can couple it with challenging directly and bringing up those critiques. Um, absent that, you're a jerk, right? If you have the critiques, but none of the relationship, then you're just a oppressive boss. But if you have all relationship and you're not willing to go there directly, then you're not getting anything done. And so I think it's helpful to conceptualize this for other veins, especially when we talk about hope and speaking to the general public. It's hard because you don't have that relationship. So you're really having to lean on everything else, like your tone, like your word choice, and like the timing to try to enhance that relationship as best you can, because it might be evolving in the room and the space, and you might have to pivot and go a totally different way if what you're doing isn't working. That's a great point. <clears throat> Jim, you look like you got something on your, what you're thinking. Give her. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm just chuckling again. Um, I know you can't see it on camera, but I'm, uh, I'm 6'6", six, six, like 270. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm very aware that uh, just by showing up, I, I am communicating uh, something and uh, have to be very aware of my words as well. Um, I just, I noticed, I hope the uh, flowers behind me soften, soften my approach. Did. My, I almost approach. mentioned it, buddy. I almost mentioned it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it, it is a, a very important thing that you, uh, you aware of, uh, be aware of what you exude as well while you're, uh, while you're communicating that message just so you don't uh, exude the whole bullshannon thing and scare people Absolutely. off. So. I, I've had a similar effect. I'm six six two two ten right now, and yeah, I, I know exactly what you're feeling when people just automatically cross the street because of how you're standing or how you're walking or how you're looking or just like it's it can be very uh, intimidating, I guess, for others, especially when someone towers over you. So <clears throat> I, I feel your pain. Sean, you got uh, anything further on on this? Sure, a couple of things. First of all, I don't tower over anyone because I'm like five foot nine. But here's the funny part. I bet more people cross the street for me than they do for you, Chance. Ooh. I'm just saying. What I you exude <laughs> is based on who you are and your background and your look and your vibe and all kinds of things. And so I think it's less to do with the physically imposing and it's more to do with the vibe that you give off if we're really being truthful. Sure. So um, uh, I, what I would like to say is this, that... When I was a young buck, or sorry, when I was a young soldier, I, um, I was uncomfortable in rooms with officers because I, they were just different than me. They spoke differently. They communicated better. They were smart. At least that's what I thought. 
in the early days. But then I began to learn that they're not actually that smart. They just speak well. They speak well with each other and with their troops. They have an air of refinement about them. It really, it was intriguing to me because I'd been raised in a not, uh, not very, um, I don't want to say civil, but not a very polished language environment. And then when I joined the military, there was no polish. Everyone, every third word or every third word was swearing. And so you learn how to communicate with a foul mouth. And it's a fun game. I, I like that game still to this date. Uh, so I learned initially to communicate kind of like uh, with gutter speak, as it were. And then uh, being around officers and understanding that there's an entirely different way to communicate, that was the moment that I started figuring out what's my bandwidth? How, how wide can I make my communication style? I started thinking of it as bandwidth. So how do you get better at increasing your bandwidth? You hang out with people who speak in a way that you want to speak. You look to engage with people who have a refined air of language about them, which was appealing to me when I was young, but I just didn't understand how they managed to get to that point of refinement. Well, obviously it was education and it was mostly, I think, being surrounded or more correctly, being reinforced by the peers that it's normal to speak with an air of refinement. And so, Anyone can do that. It's easily available for anyone if you hang out with the right people who speak in a way that intrigues you, which is what I did. And so year after year, decade after decade, I've done my best to pay attention to people who speak really well, who impress me, and I look to learn from them in order to add layers of communication style into my ability to communicate. It's not so much maybe that I am trying to become the best speaker on the planet. What I am doing is playing my game. The games that I've been playing all my life. When I see something that I want to get better at, I turn it into a game. I gamify everything. I form a pattern and then I get in the game of that game. And this game of effectively communicating requires me to turn it into a little bit of fun where I have to kind of spread my wings to some degree, maybe get them a bit burned because I get too close to the sun, but I like to play in a space that I'm trying to get better at. So to play, I have to see the edges of the game, which means I've got to keep seeking people who speak better than I do, who communicate better than I do, who write better than I do. It's our job, if we want to get better at something, to find better so that you can become better at it. Great point. Brenda, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, for myself, um, <clears throat> I'm a voracious reader. I find that not only do I follow various podcasts, but the reading, anything that I can consume with respect to, um, you know, business, leadership, continued growth, um, lifelong learning, I'm very invested in that. And I find you know, the multiple layers of communication and, um, you know, the style and form of communication. And I also want to go back to something that Eric said is the relationships, like really forming relationships. And, 
you know, I had to recently do performance reviews for the senior team that I work with at um, Tronikwichin, the First Nation um, that I'm currently working with. And, you know, I am who I am in terms of authentic um, communication. I am well known for my candor and, you know, respectfully, but you're always going to get an honest response and it's tempered though, right? So understanding who your audience is and in one um, particular instance, there was an individual that had been struggling a little bit in terms of understanding the culture, adapting to it and, you know, finding their footing within a self-government. And so providing that feedback and then observable examples and, you know, part of the success was because I did have a pre-existing relationship with the individual, but it was also because of the manner in which I was communicating, very respectful, very compassionate. And again, it goes back to knowing your audience on those one-on-one -on -one pieces. I mean, I still uh, left that um, meeting knowing that I had delivered the message that I needed to deliver. But it was fascinating to me is about two or three weeks later, the person came and did a follow-up with myself and said, well, Brenda, when you told me that I needed to be a better person, <laughs> I said, okay, well, I'm not sure I communicated it quite like that. But essentially, those were the lessons that were taken away. And the person said to me yesterday, you know, I valued that and I appreciated that you took the time and energy and effort and made that effort to, you know, communicate to me in a way that resonated with me and that, you know, it created that passion and fire to, to do those things that needed to be done. But I think, you know, it really goes down to the layers and layers of and forms of communication that we can all benefit from and being committed to it. And, you know, again, for myself, um, being a trained negotiator, finding the balance of when to communicate, how to communicate and, and do it in a way that you don't lose sight of who you are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Eric, you got any, uh, points that anything yeah going off sean i just love that notion it's just another version that you can apply the iron sharpens iron right surround yourself with people that are great at whatever the thing is right so if it's communicating with empathy if it's communicating more verbosely or with better acumen and vocabulary it's all those things but i love the notion that uh, i heard a long time ago i think it was tim ferris but it was his idea that you can have these mentors, you can have these these role models or these this circle of people that aren't even people that you know day to day, right? We have this amazing capability with technology that I'm talking to to four leaders over the border. And I'm not that far away in the upper left USA, but for other people, yeah, they're different time zones and they're in the south end and they're across the globe. Uh, but you can really find these people, these examples that resonate with you. And they can be your mentors. And even if they're alive or dead, and if, and if you're just listening to their podcast or their celebrity uh, inputs, um, it's all things that you can roll into your circle that you absorb from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jim, got any points to add? Yeah, just, just building on that, I, uh, I found myself doing something this morning. I was uh, listening to some podcasts, just getting getting in the mood for this thing. And, uh, I, I found myself, you know, I, I, I know these podcasts, I know their, I know their styles. I, uh, I've, I've learned what the good is. I, uh, I switched over immediately to, to some bad podcasts to, uh, try and find my own edges of things that I'm replicating, uh, in the negative and, uh, expanding, expanding my own edges to the other side, uh, this morning. So mm -hmm. it, it is a, it's a, it's a practice skill too, right? Like it's not something that you're just going to absorb overnight <laughs> you gotta work on these things regularly to uh to get good at it now brenda you had mentioned something that it kind of touched in my head some it was 
I am who I am. And I've heard this for many very ineffective communicators of just, you know, yeah. well, it's just me. If you don't like it, deal, right? And But you added to the point of you speak with candor, but, and you, and you carried on the point, you developed a really great uh, concept of it. So what I'm wondering is for those that are stuck in the I am who I am without any of the added empathy or development or anything like that, how do we communicate with them in order to kind of bridge the gap per se? Because if someone is that hard, you know what I mean? Like they're it's a little tricky, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I, you know, for myself, when I made that statement, what I mean is in terms of really clearly understanding who you are as an individual. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a sense that I'm, you know, unwilling to adapt the communication style. I think it just goes back to, you know, my original comments of, are you an authentic communicator? Like, what is your form of and style of communication? And so, you know, for those that are stuck, and, you know, I think we have all had experiences where we've interacted with audiences or individuals where, you know, they have, they're very positional. And, you know, again, it's the subtlety of figuring out, you know, what needs to be stated so that you can still get your message across. And sometimes you do have to adapt it to that type of an audience. And, um, but nudge them, right? Like, I think you still need to be provocative in the sense respectfully, but you need to nudge them so that, you know, you are able to get your message. And I think about um, an, a, an instance, oh, it, it was regarding, you know, a, um, a fairly provocative decision that had to be made. And I, kn and I knew that it was not going to land well, that was pretty clear. But well, what I had to ask myself was, do I believe in this? The decision's made, I'm going to have to communicate regarding it, but do I believe in it? And, you know, settling in a position where, okay, there's an acceptance, but how do we make the best of the situation? And so when you're communicating to an audience that is sitting there and, you know, their arms are crossed and you can read the body language that, oh yeah, here's another white shirt, if you will, that's come into the room, an officer, and they're just going to come out with this political response, you know, grounding myself in who I am as an individual, that you're always going to get an open, honest, transparent, and forthright uh, message, but doing it in a way that, again, is respectful, and that, you know, you can communicate that to um, a, a large audience or an individual that's sitting there with that type of body language to say, look, I understand, you have a perspective, I understand, you may not agree with me, you don't have to, but these are the things that we need to do in order to move this forward and, you know, acquire our, our objectives. So I think it's the, um, the art of communication. I, I find it really fascinating. Absolutely. Jimmy, got any thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that art is incredibly important. I, uh, I've been in the room where, uh, Brenda walks in and, uh, Brenda, you have a, uh, you have a presence about you. Um, everybody, everybody knows that you have something to say and they're, and they're, they're listening. Um, but you've always, um, you've always cultivated that art, uh, in my opinion, and you have, um, demonstrated even during those hard conversations, um, that you have honesty and that you've always cared. So, um, that, that art has been cultivated in you, I think, and, uh, you're, you're a good example of, um, ha having a difficult thing to communicate, um, but also maintaining your, uh, your authentic presence. Mm -hmm. Eric, any thoughts? Thank you. Yeah, it's just, I suppose, wrapping it together for me, communicating and hope. I was, 
I was on a podcast called on being a police officer and the interviewer, Abby, she, I want to say confronting, and that's probably not the best word, but here we are communicating that, uh, confronted me with a label that she thought I wasn't a relentless optimist. And it took me aback for a second that at first I thought it was a little accusatory being a cynical cop. I was like, how can that even be possible? But after a pause, I recognized the compliment, but then I reflected on how she arrived there. And it was through a lot of my social media and it was through a lot of my writing and speaking and the tone I tried to use. Yeah, at times, I'm very frustrated with things. At times, I'm very cynical about things. But it goes back to the intent of our communication. And if we want to be hopeful in our communication, if we want our communication and our interactions to be breeding positivity, then it takes a lot of work. And so I really appreciate the feedback, but it was more of a reflection that I share with others that hey, it has to be a lot of intention and a lot of attention towards this goal to make sure you're actually moving the needle that way. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you got some thoughts? I do. I think, uh, and precisely along the same trajectory as we're discussing right now, it does come down to your intentions, but you got to understand clearly what your intent is. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't go into things half-baked thinking that, yeah, I, I got a pretty good sense of where I'm going to take this today, or I got a pretty good sense of my messaging. Uh, I nailed it while I was having my coffee this morning. I'm, I'm really clear on where this is going to go. You kind of got to live it. This, these kind of things cannot be shifting day to day. I, I got to go talk to someone. I got to go talk to a group. I'm going to flip my chameleon script. I'm going to put on my disguise. I'm going to, you kind of got to be who you are and who you are is based on what you've done time and time and time again as a predictable reliable consistent pattern when you walk into the room when brenda walks into that room the people in that room know what's up because they know her pattern the moment that you start flippity flopping you become an unreliable communicator so you've got to to eric's point you've got to be authentic now, when someone challenges us and, and it doesn't make sense to us, like, how did you get that read on me? Well, you know your authentic self, but it should be a curiosity just as it was to mm -hmm. Eric. And I really dig that he reflected on it. It should be a curiosity as to why that person is getting a read on you in a different way, perhaps because they don't know you very well, or perhaps they aren't ready to think about things at a deeper level as you have. And so that's a great opportunity for us to not like sit down and lecture someone on how to listen better or think deeper, or any of that stuff. It's our opportunity to carefully and craftily and athletically and artistically help someone think about life in a different way, plant a new seed in their mind that they can maybe germinate with or without conscious thought. So that's our job, uh, no matter what <clears throat> level of leadership we're at. It's our job to be who we are and then deliver to the audience in front of us. And so Brenda had said that she likes, she's, she's known for her candor to some degree. Well, I'm kind of known for my candor plus plus <laughs> and, and, and I don't water it down. And I think that's a really important point because I'm not saying that my way is better than Brenda's way. I'm just saying that there are ways, there are ways for every single leader out there to communicate. Not all of us need to synchronize into candor minus. There should be all kinds of levels of candor out there because what will work for Brenda 
won't work for me or won't work for another person or won't work for that person down the hallway. If there's enough leaders out there who have different communication styles that are candorish or not, at least we'll cover a pile of people who will synchronize with a bunch of different leaders rather than all of us sitting down and agreeing that there's only one way to communicate. It's the way and you'll all adopt it. And now you're only hitting that 25% of the room. Yeah. I was just thinking there can only be one way to skin a cat, right? That's right. One. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, it's interesting. I'm going to get some final thoughts here in a minute, but I just have a quick story and a comment here. Winterstorm jumps in and he says, I'm just telling it like it is. <laughs> the worst line for communicating, 100%. Um, it goes back to, my story goes back to the fact that you guys were talking about knowing who you are and acting in, in accordance with that because for the longest time, I thought I was an antisocial person. I actually, on a regular basis, I'd be, I don't like talking to people. I don't like being around people. Don't like this at all. I'm not that type of person. And my wife one day hit me with, you do know you're a social butterfly, right? And I was like, what? No, no, I'm not, no. And she's like, yes, 100% you are. Because anytime you see somebody with either a veteran uh, <clears throat> vest on or a veteran plate in a car or anybody like anybody that looks even remotely like a veteran, you're usually striking off a conversation in that instant. I'm like, wait a second, do I? Maybe I, maybe I do. And I had to reflect on it. And once I did, once I accepted the fact that actually enjoy talking to people and actually enjoy being social. I enjoy being involved in conversations like these. That allowed me to become a better communicator because then I was actually acting as per who I was rather than trying to not be who I was. I think it's, a, it's just such an important uh, a point on that. Now we are running short on time. Uh, I got one more comment here and then I'll do some final thoughts. KH jumps in with whether it's reading a book, reading a man or reading a room, the details are in between the lines. That's good. That's a great point. That's I true. like it. Um, so let's get some final thoughts on effective communication and we'll wrap it up for the day. Jim, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I would say like anything, uh, you're going to have to put in the time. Um, you're going to have to understand yourself. You're going to have to understand uh, the how in uh, in your messaging. Um, I, I personally thought I had... Uh, you know, put in the time and then Sean posted his uh, list of ways to communicate this morning. And I think I'm batting maybe 30%. So um, got some work to do, but you got to put in the time. Absolutely. Eric, final thoughts? Yeah, uh, going off of that and a lot of points throughout the whole discussion, uh, what is our own self-communication, right? What are we reflecting with ourselves? What is our self-talk, positive, negative, and where are we going? So what's our objective? Um, so in the context of Hope Week, um, it starts there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brenda, final thought? Yeah, I appreciate the introspection portion because I think that, you know, if you're confident and not, um, it's, it's confidence, not arrogance, but it's, you know, building that confidence by practicing. And I've said, you know, in a previous podcast, doing something once a day that scares you. So for myself in learning the different types of communication styles and so forth, um, it, it is about doing something that you're a little bit uncomfortable with and putting yourself out there and yeah, you're going to fall on your face. Okay. So be it. But what did you learn? I love the curiosity piece and being curious about others. And, you know, again, um, 
not so much influencing as it is really practicing and you know not overstating that but definitely the practice and I go back to the art of it because there's so many subtleties and complexities to it so mm -hmm. absolutely Sean final thoughts yeah um anything that I do I like to do well anything that I give my time to our only resource by the way such a precious resource if I'm giving my time to it, I want to do well at it, not win at it, but do my best in it because I've only got so much time. So every time I'm speaking with someone, I'm kind of doing my best to get better at it for them, for me, for the future, for the game that I'm playing. Because again, if I'm going to do something, I want to be good at it. And where's the harm in that? Where's the harm in trying to be better? We can spend, I, I got buddies who spend a lot of time getting better in a CQB or getting better in the weight room or getting better in the, in the middle of a river fly fishing. Their hobbies, their pastimes, their jobs, their lives, their families, their, they'll get better at all of that. But communicating somehow seems to be just a thing we're born with and then we don't work on. It's something that is considered maybe as a, it's, it's a gift that you just use to go through life and you never have to get better at it. It's just what you do is you just talk, but there's levels to the game. And if you want to get good at CQB, you put in the grind. If you want to get better at speaking, you've got to put in the grind. And what's the grind? Go out on the interwebs, start following people who speak really well, who communicate effectively and not just speak, write and draw and dance and fly. All of the forms of human expression, they're all means of communication and it's our job to try to do better the way that we represent how we communicate. Yeah, absolutely. YouTube is a, uh, is a heck of a resource. Too. If you want to learn anything, it's on YouTube. I can guarantee you. There's there's uh, all kinds of classes for all kinds of things, and uh, I do really want to just say thank you guys so much for the convo. This has been fantastic, Brenda, Eric, Jim. You guys are fantastic. Always good having you guys on and being able to chat. It's just awesome. Uh, to all the people watching, really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys keep commenting on stuff. We do read them all and do enjoy uh, all of the the feedback we get. So you know, as we all learn how we. Pers we personally communicate, which allows us to build the skill sets to grow into a effective communicator. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.